Greetings, listeners. The Neuroscience Outreach Group at NYU recently hosted a town hall on everyone's favorite virtual platform, featuring Helen Ager, MD, Alan Schlechter, MD, and Stephanie Rogers, PhD, as part of an ongoing series on COVID-19 and mental health. The recording from that event is presented in full here. Be sure to join us next week for when Carla and I get to talk with Jennifer Schiavo about her nature paper, Innate and Plastic Mechanisms for Maternal Behavior in Auditory Cortex. Hello, everyone, and welcome to, um, I shouldn't say part two, because we're going to go over some questions that we did last time, but um, so our sort of second meeting to talk about families together and families apart for the holidays. Um, so if you did join us for our first session, uh, we will have some repeat questions um, just so that we can make sure that, you know, we get the basics of mental health over the holidays covered. Um, but we also will be covering some new, uh, some new content this time as well. So thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for your fantastic questions. Um, we received so many great questions and we will try to get through as many as we can. Um, but so I just really wanted to thank you all. You had fantastic questions. Um, we will make available to you. Um, so I'll show a slide at the end. We'll put it in the chats as well, but we're going to have resources for all of you as well. Um, we're gonna reference some resources from the Child Study Center. Um, we're also setting up a Slack where if you're comfortable, you can join the Slack family and you can participate as much as you want. Um, you can just pop in and see what new resources we're gonna put up for all of you, um, or you can actually start a chat and start building a community together. Um, and so we'll have that available and the link for that at the end and in the chat as well. Um, so I'm super excited for today's discussion. We have two phenomenal panelists with us. Um, we have Dr. Helen Egger, who is the Arnold Simon Professor and Chair of the Department of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry at NYU Langone Health. Um, she's also the Director of the NYU Langone Health Child Study Center. She is a child psychiatrist, an epidemiologist, and digital health innovator. She leads a large and vibrant community that advances the mental health of children and all who care for them through innovative research and comprehensive clinical care and inclusive education. Um, she really is a pioneer in the field of early childhood mental health. Um, and we also have with us today, Dr. Ellen Schlechter, sorry, Alan <laughs> Schlechter, I'm so sorry. These earphones like push on my jaw and it makes it hard to talk. Um, so, Dr. <laughs> so Dr. Schlechter is a clinical associate professor at NYU Langone Medical Center. He sees patients at Bellevue. Um, if you could just mute, um, if you're not speaking, if you could mute, that would be great. Um, so Dr. Schlechter is, uh, he sees patients at Bellevue Hospital. Um, he also sees patients at NYU Child Study Center. He treats and helps organize the care of some of the most vulnerable children and families in New York City. And he also teaches the science of happiness to over a thousand NYU students each year in which he shares the mental health education that he believes 
all people should receive early in life. Um, so we're very excited to have Dr. Ager and Dr. Schlechter with us. So thank you both for, for joining us. Um, and so, you know, I'm gonna open this up um, and just say, you know, we are in our ninth month of this pandemic. It is winter, it is cold, it's snowing outside, it's dark early. Um, you know, we're gonna be spending our holidays uh, potentially differently and hopefully differently than how we would normally spend them. Um, and so there's a lot of, you know, mental health carry. Like there's a lot of things we have to carry with us in our mental health right now. Um, and so the first question I'm going to ask, which is a bit broad, um, but just to open things up, is really what signs should we be looking for to see if someone is experiencing depression or you know, any sort of effect on their mental health? And how might that look different between a small child, a teenager, and an adult? Um, so Dr. Egger, if you would like to start us lead. off. Great. Yes. So I think the first thing is really to um, reiterate what Stephanie just said. The challenge of this time is that we have losses that have been ongoing. And when we think about trauma, people talk about post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, we can't have any post because we are really still in the midst of this um, shared, tremendously difficult time. And so we have that sort of first layer. And so what we can anticipate is that the impact of the pandemic and other things happening in the world has probably affected almost all of us in some kind of way. And it, where we are experiencing some loss, some sadness. Um, and the important question really is one, what strategies, which we'll talk about as we go along, can you um, use for yourself and your family to take care of yourself and to support your mental health? And then this important question, how do we tell the difference between um, a response to a situation that's sad, but you're still functioning and doing okay? So we, number one, we look for a change. Right. And so when we're thinking about kids and I'll speak about little kids and I'll let Alan speak some about older kids, but really the symptoms um, really are shared across childhood, actually into adulthood. It's someone who is down, crying, um, you know, really can't uh, get happy about things. We also see in kids that they may be more irritable, snappy, um, you know, finding fault with everything, or if they're a small child having temper tantrums, um, particularly with aggression. And then there's another aspect that we often see, which is that the things that gave you pleasure before don't give you pleasure anymore. So a child who enjoyed uh, playing a, a certain game just is like, yeah, I don't care, not interested anymore. And then going along with that are symptoms like changes in sleep, changing in eating um, and appetite. Often kids will have more aches and pains um, that maybe are unexplained. And I think that's another aspect that there's a lot of fear that grownups are feeling right now. And so kids are feeling that also. So that sometimes the fear and anxiety in the real situation can get really, really big 
and seem very, very scary and really dominate, um, you know, kids being afraid that they're going to get sick, fearing that, you know, someone in their family is going to die or something like that. So, you know, we, the last thing I'll say, and then before I go, uh, you know, hand it over to Alan is we also want to know, is this sadness, depression, anxiety, is it impacting the child's ability to do the things that um, are the, the daily activities of a child? In this case, it may be going to Zoom school, it may be helping to cook in the family, but you know, go to bed at a certain time. You see really um, not just the emotions and the behavior, but also that they're really having an impact on uh, the child's functioning and the family functioning. Tossing it to you, Alan. Yeah. So I love what Helen just said, the key of change, because it's different than illness in the rest of medicine, right? If you have pneumonia and you're, you're coughing and you go, oh, that's it. And, and, and we all have periods of sadness. We all have periods of anxiety in our life. But how do you know when it's gone too far? And it's that point when it's interfering with people's ability to do things or to experience their well-being. So relationships are our most highly correlated thing with our well-being. If you don't have someone to share good moments with, they're actually not as good. If you don't have people to share the bad moments with, you're actually more likely to develop that post-traumatic stress disorder that Helen was talking about. With adolescents, adolescents are primed for peer relationships. If you take a phone away from an adolescent, they actually feel it in their physical pain receptors. Because adolescents, let's go back, we're really all just cave people. And the old people, I, now I'm somehow elderly, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go to sleep early, which is what I really wanna do. And the adolescents are gonna guard the front of the cave and they're gonna stay up late and they're gonna make friends. That's what they're supposed to be doing. So even though it's miserable doing it over Zoom, Adolescents are still doing it. They're connecting any way they can. If your adolescent is withdrawing from their relationships, that is a sign that something is really going wrong because biologically, they are supposed to be having relationships. If they had things that used to bring them feelings of accomplishment and pride that they could still do during COVID and they stopped doing them, you should react. Um, and, and that's the great challenge of knowing that, you know, what, what I always say is we're all very muted during COVID, the things I loved, even my ability, if somebody comes up and says, how are you doing? I don't say good anymore. It's just not the right response. I say, I'm doing okay. Uh, it just doesn't feel quite the same. And it doesn't feel the same for me knowing how much suffering is going on. Uh, so, so but, but I'm still working out. I'm still doing exercises. I'm still forcing myself to get on Zoom calls. And, you know, uh, Dr. Egger, she just, she is having us this week, we are having multiple um, Zoom calls for our department. And it was, it's really amazing, even though we're all Zoomed out. When we all got on the call for no other reason than just to say hello, I would say everyone got off feeling a little bit better just a little bit higher. Oh, there are all those people that I love. Oh, all those other people, they're trying to do good. So forcing us to do the things 
that we need to do, even though we're not getting as much pleasure in them, is called behavioral activation. That is the most evidence-based treatment we have for depression, but we all need it right now. We all need a certain degree of behavioral activation. Stephanie, could I just, I, I think we also need to be really clear that if your child or a family member is talking about not wanting to live or expressing uh, wanting to die or even a plan, take that seriously and get help immediately for your loved one. Absolutely. Um, and just as a side note, one of the resources that we have on the Slack that we'll make available to you is also a list of um, hotlines um, that you can call. They are New York specific. Um, so if you would like it for a different area, we can provide that in the Slack as well. Um, but they have like this substance abuse hotlines, um, suicide and depression hotlines, and a little bit of some guidelines on, you know, what kind of behaviors to look out for and some things there too. But yes, absolutely. Um, definitely take that seriously. And so this sort of transitions um, into our next question, which I will um, lead with Dr. Schlechter, is you know, how do we start these conversations? It's a difficult conversation. It's been shrouded in stigma forever. You know, what, what can we do to encourage you know, our partners, our children, our family to open up about some of the things they might be struggling with right now? I, it's a great question, uh, Stephanie. I, I think it's um, often a two-pronged attack. And, and maybe, uh, Dr. Egger, should I, I'll deal with maybe the older kids and I'll pass over to you for sure. thinking about the younger kids um, or vice versa. But, but I think for me, it starts off with, it, it, it really has to start off with me uh, caring about you. If it starts off with what's wrong, um, particularly as a parent, um, that's, that's gonna put the kid off um, or the loved one off. Um, it feels like it's more about me, um, more about, you know, oh, you're really bumming me out. You're miserable, it's making me miserable. But if it, if it starts with, I've been thinking about you a lot. I've been noticing if you can point to a behavior, you are not working out anymore and you love working out. You are not practicing the guitar. You know, I love when you practice the guitar and I think it makes you happier. Now, if there's resistance, if you can get them to start talking about how they're really feeling, I, and, and you can say, I'm feeling down. You know, it's, it's just hard. Um, if you can get them to start talking, that's wonderful. If they don't, then you get to do a little, what we call motivational interviewing, um, MI, where you get to, you sort of want to get them to ask the question. So you don't think anything's wrong. Okay, how would you know if something's wrong? Like, when would you say that we should talk to somebody? When do you feel like, how little can you exercise that we don't say, something is off here because if you don't exercise, you turn into a terrible person. I have been meditating for 15 years. If I don't meditate, I'm not a nice person. It's true, Dr. Egger. <laughs> Keep meditating. Right? 
So actually, that's exactly what my wife, Carlin, my wife, Carlin will look at me sometimes and she'll go, have you been meditating? And I'll go, oh, no, I've missed a couple of days. She'll be like, oh, you need to meditate. You need to meditate because I get snippy with my kids. It doesn't make me feel good, you know, because life is so busy. Many of us are avoiding the non-urgent but important activities that keep us at our baseline. Uh, so making sure we're maintaining them and having conversations about how to maintain them, getting people to help us keep us accountable with that. I will pass it off to you. Yeah, no. And I think with little kids, um, one of the challenges is that we often are responding to our young child's behavior. Don't do that. Um, and we, um, you know, or particularly like when kids have tantrums or things like that. What we know is that little kids often don't have the words to describe how they're feeling, or they may not even be able to recognize the emotions that they're feeling. So it will come out in behaviors. So one of the really important pearls I'd like people to leave with if they have little kids is that frequent daily and aggressive tantrums in kids two to six years old, I call those mental health fevers in little kids they are actually a sign, a marker, that there is something that's distressing the child. We don't know what it is. It's like, it's like that's where we start. But actually those kind of aggressive tantrums, which we think of as bad behavior, are actually strongly associated with depression, with anxiety. And it makes a lot of sense because if you're five or four or two, and you don't really know how to describe these terrible things you're feeling inside, being afraid or sad or angry, you're gonna express it in your behavior. So I think a key thing, and this really is across childhood is, and Alan was describing this too, it's being open to talking about what the inside feelings are, not just the way that those feelings get expressed in behavior, whether that's tantrums in a little kid or not playing the guitar in an older kid. And just making that empathetic, accepting space, um, which, you know, in some ways there are, with the pandemic families have some families have had more time to spend together. And, you know, trust me, I know that that's got its issues. But it's also nice, you, you may be, and so really making sure that you're making a space. Um, and I think the last thing I'll say is that kids often will connect more when you're doing something side by side rather than face to face. So for like a little kid sitting and doing some playing, you know, because young children really express a lot of what they're feeling and how they play or do a cooking project or do something. I find that with my kids that we can have conversations uh, when we're doing something together that maybe would feel a little more threatening if you're kind of, okay, let's have a talk, which can clam a kid up. Very true. Um, so our next question is, actually very, very multifaceted. So we're going to break it down into sort of subgroups, but we're really going to focus on some coping strategies um, and some things that we can do. So we'll start off um, with some coping mechanisms. If you are alone 
or the holidays. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it can be very, very isolating. The holidays can also be very complicated um, for a myriad of reasons. You know, so what can you do if you're alone um, to make sure that you have a support system and what are some coping strategies to make sure that you are okay? Dr. Ager? Yeah, so this is very, um, you know, causes me pain even thinking about it because my 88 year old mom who lives by herself was alone um, for Thanksgiving and will be alone um, for Christmas. And, you know, that's never been the case. And so I've certainly been thinking about how can I support her and connect with her. And, you know, I think from the perspective of a person who's alone, the first thing is do nice things for yourself, right? And, 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 you know, treat yourself and make sure that you have, you know, nice goodies and food and, you know, put up the decorations that you care about. Don't have the kind of like, ah, eh, there's no one here. You can't see. So that's that piece. I think the other thing is to reach out now to your friends and family and make some kind of plan to connect. I mean, Alan mentioned with our department, um, doing these little connectors, but I did um, something at Thanksgiving because I was very aware that we would, you know, have members of our department who were by themselves. So I did a Zoom uh, cooking with the chair and we just had an open Zoom um, meeting where people, I was in my kitchen cooking turkey and other people came in. But I think that highlights something else, which is those of us who maybe aren't alone, but have loved ones who are alone or friends, take the initiative, make the plan, reach out to them and say, hey, I know you're alone. I, that must be really hard. And let, let's plan on what we're going to do. Let's play a silly game or we'll make mixed drinks together and, and, you know, or watch a Netflix show together or something like that. So don't make it all on the person who's alone to have to ask for support really that's one of the key mitzvahs that people can do this year um, beyond presence or anything like that. It's really saying, I'm thinking of you and I want to make you part of my plans. That's very, that's very tough to talk. There's <laughs> not, I mean, that's, that's not fair. I mean, the, the only thing I can think of adding to that uh, is I love what you pointed out, that idea of it's both on you, but it's also on the people around you. You have to take some ownership for reaching out to others. And, and that might mean being really brave for yourself because it can feel really vulnerable right now. It can feel like, well, everybody's stretched so thin, but you still have to reach out. I would say, although this may seem counterintuitive, figure out how you can help other people right now is a great way to feel less alone. It, yeah. It's about feeling, it's a big part of connectedness. When we help others, we feel profoundly connected, not just to other people, but just to the world, to the greater world. It can feel transcendent. Um, if you wanna feel less alone, even safely going for a walk, um, even if it's by yourself, um, but if you're nearby people, if you, Go for a walk in nature. Uh, there is something very connecting about nature um, that makes us feel healthier. Uh, so it is very challenging right now. I, I am completely uh, 
with Dr. Egger, and I, I would say with the, the other piece of advice I've been giving to a lot of parents is making sure kids are contacting an elderly person. So that, that is something where kids, young kids, adolescents, and anyone can feel that they did a good deed that week. They connected with somebody because they're, they're it, it's quite a competition for which group got it the worst um, in the last nine months, but the elderly are in the running and seriously neglected. Stephanie, could I add one thing that was from the previous session we did, which is take Instagram and social media with a humongous grain of salt. This is true anytime, but it's like, wow, people are having the most incredible pandemic. And I, you know, said last week when we did this, it's like, I was like, who's got time to make all this bread and do all of these amazing things? Just remember social media is it's an outside view and there's some pretty pictures, but don't take it as reality. Cause I think if you can really get bummed out looking at that and think everyone else is somehow managing better than I am. And we know, we know that that's not true. For sure. I know I've been guilty of that so much. So this is very important for kids and for adults. Cause I remember seeing like a friend made a short video and I was like, well, I made my bed today, so I'm killing it, obviously. <laughs> right. Exactly, exactly. Um, so we will circle back to the social media in a bit um, to comment more on that. But just to continue on sort of with some more coping mechanisms. Um, there, you know, a lot of us are in healthcare, right? So we don't get to work from home. Um, even those who do get to work from home, you know, you're juggling so many things. You have Zoom meetings, you have deadlines, you maybe have kids at home and they're working from home. So they may need, you know, some extra guidance. So um, Dr. Schlechter, we'll start with you. What are some things that we can do over the holidays, um, particularly if we do have kids um, or dependents with us to make sure that we recover um, and that we can take some time to, you know, get back on our mental feet ready to go. So it, it often feels indulgent, uh, but, but I think Dr. Edgar brought it up really well before that idea of give yourself some treats. Uh, th this isn't the moment uh, to deny yourself. Uh, it, we're, we're already being denied so much. But the idea of dressing up still, of, you know, I'm thinking actually a lot about my wife and I, and we're not perfect at it, but making some real time for ourselves and saying to our kids, we need to have a moment. Um, and we are planning on New Year's Eve, I'm gonna be wearing a tuxedo, a tuxedo. It's, it's buried deep somewhere. But that idea of uh, really wonderful old article I, 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 I keep in the back of my head of, it's worth making a fuss. So making a little fuss, lighting a candle, um, maintaining traditions right now, uh, as well as you can. So, 
Thanksgiving, that Thanksgiving meal is actually one of the tastiest we've ever had. Um, maybe because, and we were dressed to the nines, uh, but it's like eating that PB and J when you're really hungry and you're like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. So, so trying to make a fuss over little things, uh, keeping the traditions and uh, also when I say, you know, making sure that I am meditating, putting it on the calendar. So all of health professionals, one of the worst things health professionals have um, uh, for themselves is that they're very resilient. And that resilience means that they can put so much out there for other people but they don't put it out for themselves. It's one real theory about why we have such high rates of burnout because we're just so, we're so sure in our power of resilience. And so the idea that I need to plan my weekend for activities that truly uplift me instead of just, I'm gonna do nothing. I'm just gonna relax. Relaxation is overrated. Making sure you are programmed weekend with the same effort that you program your week. Now, I always have some people who are like, no, I want some time not to be programmed. And that's okay. So on the weekend, be like, Saturday afternoon, I'm going to do whatever. But making sure on Saturday morning, you got into the car and you drove somewhere and you hiked a hill or you went outside and you went for a long walk with a friend, whatever it is, program it. It often doesn't happen. Back to you. So, yeah, I mean, the only, the things I would add a few things, I wanna really reiterate what Dr. Schlechter said about scheduling. It's not to over schedule, but one of the things that we are clear about our kids activity, like this is when Zoom school is, this is where you do this. Parents or caregivers also need to schedule their time in and give your kids warning, right? And be like, hey, we're going to do this. I'm going to do play this game with you. And then I'm going to do this. Mommy's going to do this. And you'll need to, you know, play by yourself, et cetera. But I think the more that we can help kids to anticipate that and create some routine, it's helpful. I We've mentioned it sort of peripherally, but I think we should specifically focus on the importance of exercise. We know that exercise, physical activity, is associated with protection against depression and anxiety. And even if you are experiencing depression and anxiety, exercise actually is a kind of medicine that helps um, with getting better. So I think that's true for kids and it's true for adults. And, um, you know, and there are a gazillion awesome videos online of, um, you know, workouts and yoga and yoga you can do by yourself or with your kids or, but I, I really think that's one of the side effects of this situation is that we're so much less active. So we can be very, very focused, um, very focused on that. That's a great point. Um, and so sort of leaning into our next question with, you know, coping mechanisms, um, you know, this pandemic has hit the people in lower socioeconomic status um, particularly hard. And while many of us have access to some of the wonderful resources at NYU, um, I was wondering if you could just comment on 
one, you know, just reiterate what are those resources we have for everyone? And two, um, what are some options, you know, if our friends or family who don't have the means to, um, or don't have the time or don't have the ability to, you know, access some of these, um, some of these resources, what can they do? What is there to help them through it? Um, Dr. Egger? So I'll start with the um, NYU Langone resources, which are, are extensive. And if you go on Inside Health, both in the HR benefits section, but also specifically on the COVID um, you know, information website, if you scroll down, there is uh, you know, much of the information we're gonna share here. So if you can't locate it, you can find it. And what's important to realize is we have a full gamut from we have employee uh, support and assistance 24 seven, doesn't cost any money, where if you're in crisis or you need some help, you can reach out um, for that kind of help. We also, you know, in the department of psychiatry for adult psychiatry and then in our department for kids, um, you know, we have ways that you can get an evaluation and get treatment. I also want to, um, and we're sending the information here, is we as a department put together um, a bunch of articles, about 17 articles that we wrote specifically with communications around mental health and families uh, and kids during COVID-19 pandemic. And we'll give you the link to that, but they're really, really good. And they have not only information, but they also, each of the articles have resources. And also linkage to our department has, uh, we have 150 webinars, uh, recorded webinars up there, et cetera. So there's a lot of you know, good information that you can get that also uh, gives uh, information about how you can get resources. Um, did Alan disappear? I think so. He might have, his internet seemed like it wasn't going that well. Um, but I was gonna, if he comes back, I think he's well suited to um, talk about what other resources there are. But as someone I've been, uh, I grew up in Connecticut, but back in New York's, you know, for about four and a half years coming from North Carolina, the city actually has invested in a lot of mental health resources for the community. And so um, if you go to NYC Thrive, which is the uh, mental health initiative for the city of New York, and also the health and hospital system, which Bellevue is, you know, one of the key um, uh, places where care is provided. Um, and that's the full continuum of care. I'm speaking from the child perspective, from a child dedicated ED to inpatient, to partial, to outpatient, to collaborative care and pediatrics. And the docs who are caring for um, all the kids at Bellevue are members of our department and are amazing. And Dr. Schlechter is uh, the leader of our outpatient practice at Bellevue. So that is a place where, um, you know, insurance or not, you can get care for your child. And Alan, you came back right, uh, right on cue. <laughs> ah, the, the joys of, of um, Zoom and internet. So that's right. Now I just texted, uh, ch through the chat, my email. Uh, it is one of my favorite things to do in the world is to connect people to mental health care. And if anyone on this call emails me, I will help you along the way. It is a real 
challenge to find mental health care for friends and family. If you're part of NYU, you have a lot more access. But if it is friends or family, Bellevue takes an enormous amount of care or you know, there's National Institute for Psychotherapy on the West Side, it's phenomenal. And I refer people there all the time. But depending on where you live, if you're up in the Bronx, um, if it's a family member in the Bronx, uh, Maimonides has an amazing um, fellows clinic um, for adults and for kids. So feel free, I, it's, I call it a shidduch. It's in the Jewish tradition, it's when you get a match made and that's what I feel like I'm doing when I can help somebody find mental health care. Yeah. Can and he really, mean, he really means that because, uh, you know, he's the guy I go to um, and he knows that texting, Alan, I need some help. And, uh, and I always get the help that I need and finding help for someone who's reached out to me. Alan, can you include your email again in the chat? I don't think um, Absolutely. it came through. Sure. Oh, Alan, you, yeah. Well, Alan, you want me to do it? Yeah, thanks. I've, I've switched to an iPad. Oh, okay. And I, that I can, is I can amazing. Do oh, sorry. That's amazing um, that we have you on this call. We're so lucky and thankful. And one thing that I also do want to comment, because um, I know I've experienced it with my family as well, you know, it's not always like a one-stop shop, um, particularly when you're looking for therapists or you know even some of the strategies. And so it's something that I always just like to plug <laughs> into anytime I talk about mental health is you know it's something very personal. Um, and I think especially with family and friends to also kind of communicate that too, like hey, you know, it might not work the first time, they might not be for you, it's very personal, but just keep trying, you know, keep trying new things, keep trying to see new people. Cause again, it's, you know, you're talking about feelings, there has to be like a personal connection. So. Um, well, if, if you want, there are some rules that I tell people to go by. Uh, the idea that, uh, and, and I love what you just said, Stephanie, but I think sometimes people want something concrete and you should be able to see change after just three sessions. You should be able to walk out and be like, oh, I'm feeling a little better. Um, and after five sessions, if you're really seeing no change, it might be time to find somebody else. And I, by the way, I think I'm a perfectly good therapist, but I was seeing a kid uh, last night and I said to him, are things getting better? I can't tell. And he said, yeah, they are. I said, you want to keep coming? Because I'll get you to somebody else. And he said, no, no, I'll keep coming. And, but, but that's what a good therapist should be checking in, being like, are things changing? Is this helpful? Therapy should be uncomfortable. It should be difficult enough to help you make that change. It, it's not easy. It should actually involve great bravery. Now, there's a caveat to everything I just said. If you go to three different therapists and they all stink, and nobody's helping you change, might not be the therapist. Uh, it, it, it may, the number one predictor of a person's ability to change is their desire to change. How much do they want to change? That's the biggest feature. It's the greatest feeling as a therapist is when somebody comes into my office and they're like, I'm ready to change. 
And I go, I'm not going to have to do anything. And they start changing. They come back and they're like, Dr. Schlechter, you're amazing. And I'm like, yes, I am. But, but really, they did all the work. So that is, uh, that is the, the, the concrete way of looking at what should go on in therapy, what you should expect, that you might have to go to a different one. It's really hard. It's different than just changing from first generation antibiotic to a third generation, right? You have to go to another person and tell them some of the most intimate parts of your life, but it's worth it. And just like you'd switch antibiotics, because if you don't, you might not live, you should switch therapists because you want to live better. Beautifully said. Yeah. Um, so for our next question, we are going to discuss a little bit about um, how to handle when your views are not aligned with family views on what should be happening for the holidays, um, particularly about get togethers and about the seriousness of this pandemic. Um, would you like to lead us, Dr. Schlichter? Um. Uh, I was just talking with one of my TAs about this last night. Um, his family, uh, his mother uh, and several family members had COVID. They're okay. He had COVID. He's okay. He has antibodies. And they all want to go down to Florida uh, for the break. And he does not want to go to Florida. And, and I said, this is a fair moment to put your foot down. And to say, I don't feel comfortable doing this uh, for, there can be 22 different reasons. Just the, the ethics of traveling right now are very complicated and it's, it's worth traveling if you really need to. And, and but, but at the same time, you can do it in a loving way and make sure that, because for, I think for his family, it felt like he was not honoring his mother and father, but but in a way, he's like, look, I'm, I'm actually honoring everything you've told me in life to be really thoughtful. And we're going to be able to spend time at these time points. And I'll jump on Zoom with you every day, but I don't think it's right to go down. So you have to respond to these things in a loving way. Uh, and sometimes perhaps with a little bit more than that, when people are doing things, if you feel that they're inappropriate. But Dr. Egger... Where do you? Yeah, no, I, I really agree. And I think this is a moment when it's, we start from what our values and our views are and, and be clear about what those are. And, and I think that's really important in a family because you know kids are gonna wonder and they may see the tension and the difference and say, this is what our family does. And I think the second piece is knowing your values and your boundaries. And then also knowing that we really only have control of ourselves. We can't control other people. And so when you're having these conversations, it's not about criticizing what the other person is doing. It's about being clear about what you're going to do and being able to, to say that again, as, as Dr. Schlechter said, in a loving way. That can be really hard. And, and that, I mean, that makes it sound like, oh, oh, great. But the problem is that it's gonna bring up a lot of feelings in ourselves. 
and bring up a lot of feelings in our loved ones. And often those feelings of disappointment and loss and sadness might get expressed in anger and in lashing out and in criticism and defensiveness. And we can't fully prevent that. I think, you know, some of what you can do is, you know, what Alan said is, I can hear, I, I, I can hear how disappointed you are in, in, you know, and, or I'm feeling really sad too, that we're not going to be able to be together. So sort of naming the emotions, but not getting sucked into the drama about it. And when you're going into it, having clarity about what your position is, that, that I think is, um, cause that can help you be grounded. It can help you stay present. Um, but I think this also gets back to what Steph, uh, Stephanie, you said in the very beginning, holidays without pandemics are often really complicated and actually are a time of sadness, a time of uh, having to deal with family members who have been abusive or where you there are some really bad dynamics. So I think it's also important to kind of get away from the Hallmark holiday piece of this and recognize that even if you can't get together, your family may do the same dynamics of um, making each other feel bad or having dysfunctional ways of reacting that are gonna get expressed in these conflicts around activities and the holidays. Dr. <laughs> Edgar, can I have a follow-up question? Yes. I thought what you just said was so wonderful there and I have dealt with a fair bit of that and seen a lot of people. I think the tr really tricky part for me is when you have relatives who have that anger and express so much anger and you say, well, I, I know where it's coming from, so I have to tolerate it. But the tricky part for me and I think a lot of people right now is how much of that to tolerate and how to set the boundary in those situations. Um, and I wonder how you think about that. Are you asking me? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't figured out. I mean, I don't, you know, look, there's no, we don't have a playbook for this same way. We don't have a playbook for a lot of the political conflict that has torn a lot of families apart. I mean, and, and I, I think um, you do the best that you can. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that is what I would really say. You do the best that you can. I think another piece of this though, is letting go of the idea of the perfect holiday, letting mm. go. And just, I think that this period of our lives involves acceptance. This, this, is, this is what it is and we gotta make the best of it. And, you know, we talked about this uh, the last time we did the webinar, it's like, I'm like, I think it's so important. And I'm telling people, you know, like pare it down. Like mm. just get rid of the, we're going to deck every hall. We're going to have gazillion presents. We're going to, you know, just like, just no, like just no. And, you know, I've done that with, I just had a conversation with my sister and we both were like, can we not do presents back and forth? Oh, yes. Oh God, thank God. Okay. Yes. So, you know, have those conversations with the adults and also help your children 
to be prepared. And I think one of the fantasies that parents often have is it's the gazillion presents, it's the this, it's the things they get. Sit down with your kids and ask, what are the things that are most important to you about the holidays? And you'll often be surprised that it's that tradition of making cookies or, um, you know, mm -hmm. having some kind of special meal together or watching some show together. So really, really listen to what is most important and, and try to be present in that way. And that I can say for myself um, is what I'm trying to do. You know, we have teenage kids and older kids, but I'm just like, we're gonna do three presents from, you know, mom and dad for each of you. Let's think through what are, what are things that you would want. And, and then really thinking about what are some fun things that we're gonna do so that we can look forward to them and, and where we can um, do what we can do, but not spend our time thinking about all the things that we can't do and thinking about disappointment. That was wonderful. Uh, such, yeah. So much of that even resonates with me too. It's really like letting go of this idea that, you know, fam my family is perfect and we're gonna have the perfect holiday and everything is so perfect. Just letting that go and saying like, you know what? This year is really not the best. But it's also letting go of the idea that it's also bad also. I think that yeah. it's letting go of the fantasy of how great it is and it's also saying, well, what are we going to do? That's fun. We're together or, you know, and, and I think that's really important to let go of the doom and gloom, but I think it's really important that we say right here, a lot of families have lost family members. People are grieving. They're going to be people who are not at the table, who are not present, not because they can't travel, but because they're not here. And I think it's, it's, really also acknowledging when we are grieving how how we come together to support each other and how that is also a process and I and I think that's it's another way that if you're grieving and a parent but then you want to do everything for your kids you know let, let there be space for that and and that's I think a kind of forgiveness for yourself and a forgiveness of your kids and of everybody I think that's a good gratitude and forgiveness and flexibility um, are all qualities that are gonna help us be resilient right now. Definitely. Um, and that actually was the perfect lead in to the question about, you know, how do we cope with if we've lost someone? Um, and so, you know, Dr. Schlechter, do you have anything to add to that? Any well, words of Dr. Eggers said it very well. There is no playbook. Uh, the, it is uh, loss uh, is what the word means. And I have spoken to a lot of people about loss in the last eight months. Uh, it, it's like there's a hole uh, often. And, and it, it, it really takes time. I think where I see loss become exquisitely painful is when people try to rush it, uh, that they want to get rid of the lost feeling. <laughs> uh, and you can't get rid of that so quickly. You, you, can, you can help it along maybe, uh, slightly, 
be, you have to walk it uh, patiently uh, downstairs and out the door, so to speak. So, and that was not me. That is a quote from, oh, he wrote uh, Huckleberry Finn, that the American author, I'm blanking on his name right now. So this is shameful. Mark Twain. Mark Twain. Mark Twain. Samuel Clemens, if we're going to be uh, <laughs> even precise. <laughs> Real. And, but, but it does take time. And you need to have people around you to share it with. I mean, that, it, that almost seems to go without saying. But there is, I call it lonely grief and shared grief. Uh, lonely grief is when you try to grieve by yourself. Uh, and when you have somebody to talk about the person with, um, to to sh share the feelings you're having, it it makes it not only much more tolerable. You're much more likely to grow. Uh, th there will be some growth from all of this. Not right now, as Dr. Egger said it. We're in the middle of it. But I think many of us have already noticed some growth and some ways we're growing. And but but the people who really have growth after these kinds of trauma, it's because they've shared it with other people. And that, that allows us to do it. Dr. Egger? Yeah, no, that's, that's um, yeah, I think it's, it's right. And I, I think we got a, a nice comment from a colleague of ours in our department about how it's helpful to talk about how for many people, the holidays are painful and they do have sad memories. And this is another part of grieving um, also in terms of losing folks. And it's important to acknowledge that and find support and realize that we can make new memories. We can make, we can, it's not just the memories in the past, but we can um, make memories in the present. Um, and, you know, and I think that's, um, that's gonna be the most, a very, very important part of these, uh, this month and, and the months to come, in fact. Just to close this out, you know, this has been a difficult time um, with the pandemic. Nine months of this, you know, we're all tired. It's winter. You've got seasonal depression coming in. Holidays are complicated. So just remember to take time for yourself and remember that, you know, your mental wellness um, really matters. And to basically steal something that Dr. Egger said last week that I loved is, you know, this idea of on the airplane, you put your oxygen mask on first before putting on the oxygen mask of others, you know, so take care of yourself. Um, and then, you know, then you can better help the people around you. So to quote the show that has been recently giving me my daily shot of serotonin and dopamine, take care of your mental health because this is the way. Um, whatever that this means This is the for way. You, <laughs> this is the way. Absolutely. This is the way. This is the way. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so whatever that means for you. And you might have to figure that out, you know, to see what are these things that give me joy. Um, Treat yourself, one of my favorite Parks and Rec um, quotes that I use to justify basically everything that I do. <laughs> but it's true, take care of yourself and whatever that means for you. 
Um, so if you are interested in joining the Slack, um, this is a shortened link. It's a bit.ly. We can also send it out. You can request that from Raihan um, or Ethan. Um, and again, you can use the Slack channel however you feel comfortable. If you're comfortable just coming in, looking at the resources, that's fine. If you do want to participate and talk, share some of your strategies, we would also love that as well. Um, we also have here the link for our resources for them um, for families that we have from the Child Center. So definitely check those out as well. They are also posted on the Slack. Um, everything that was posted in the chat today is on the Slack. Um, and this call was recorded. So if you missed parts of it, or if you would like to, you know, show it to friends or family, you can reach out to either Ryan or Ethan to get a copy of this recording. Um, you can also reach out to them on Slack as well. Um, and so just to close, I really want to thank our two panelists today. They are absolutely amazing. So Dr. Agar, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. And thank you to Dr. Schlechter. Thank you. Thanks for making this happen. Yeah, yeah. thanks for organizing Ryan. it and to the Neuroscience Institute. Um, it's so wonderful to have our Neuroscience Institute be so committed to um, really, you know, thinking about mental health as being a core part of us being uh healthy and able to support each other and thrive. So we really appreciate that so much. Of course. Thank you all. And thank you to everyone that joined in today. Thank you, Stephanie. And um, we'll see you guys again for the next uh, Noggin event. Yeah, um, we look forward to it. Of course. Absolutely. Good night, everyone. Have Be a good holiday. Be well, everyone. everyone. Of course. Take care, everyone. Bye.